or sometimes it was used traditionally um, after completing a foreign war. So these triumphs were a spectacular procession. On the day of his triumph, the general wore a crown of laurels and an all-purple, gold-embroidered triumphal toga. It was if they were the king of the day. To be honoured with a triumph was the pinnacle and the dream of any Roman military man. And there are some similarities, we see this to a degree, with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem before the Passover. People honoured him as he rode in, waving palm branches and singing Hosanna. They were expecting a great victory over the Roman oppressors. But triumph has always been associated with victory, winning a battle or a contest. But where there is triumph, there is also has to be defeat by someone. So days later, after Jesus came to Jerusalem, many thought that Jesus had been defeated when he suffered and died on the cross, that the battle had been lost. But in reality, through his suffering and death came what was one of the greatest triumphs in history. Because we can understand the concept of being triumphant with sports and contests, etc., but the concept of being triumphant in suffering is not something that we usually put together. But this is what we see in our verses today. Triumph in suffering. So our passage, as I mentioned, is 1 Peter 3, 18 through to 4, verse 6. And our overall theme for today is the triumphant suffering of Jesus saves us and enables us to triumph and live. The triumphant suffering of Jesus saves us and enables us to triumph and live. We have two divisions, two parts of our um, message today. So they are the triumphant suffering of Christ in 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22, and triumphant living in Christ, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 6. So um, if you're not there already, please turn um, to 1 Peter 3, and we're looking at the verses 18 to 22. And we look at verse 18, and this is a wonderful verse. It is the gospel in a verse. And we're just going to look at five words or statements, firstly, in this particular verse. Firstly, it says, suffered, for Christ also suffered. And Mikey brought out this picture of suffering last week when he um, was talking about the believers. If we're living lives like we are called to do, like it mentioned in chapter 3, 9 to 12, then we will suffer for righteousness' sake, but also be blessed. Now, Peter here encourages the believers by telling them that Jesus also suffered. As they are going through suffering, Jesus also suffered, and that there they have a common bond. But we've got to remember what Jesus' suffering was like. His suffering was a suffering of in the physical, the mental, and also the spiritual. And in the physical suffering, Mark kind of touched on this in our communion message. Jesus, he was whipped and beaten. The whipping was so severe that it tore flesh from his body. The beating was so horrific that his face was battered and his beard ripped from, from his face. 
The crown of thorns was not like the little prickles that we get in our garden that kind of hurt our foot. These were two to three inch thorns that were forced down into his scalp. He was forced to carry his cross on his shredded back and the nails that they drove into his hands and his feet at the cross um, were, going, were there to have to, and he had to support his own weight on those nails to try and keep breathing. He suffered, there's a mental suffering too. He was yelled, there was vitriol and hate that was yelled at him while he was before Pilate. The derision and the scorn that was thrown at him verbally as he walked to Golgotha, the mocking on the cross. If you are God's son, save yourself and come down from the cross, they said. The pain he would have felt from this because his heart was a heart of love and compassion for these people. And there's a spiritual suffering. On the cross, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man and completely perfect, experienced the divine wrath of God, poured out onto him as our sin bearer, the one who paid the price for our sins. Friends, don't underestimate or downplay the suffering that Jesus went through for you and for me. Our next word to look at there is the word once. Now, if we go back into Old Testament sacrifices, there are thousands of animals that were sacrificed each year, and then the cycle repeats. The sacrifices uh, um, to atone or to cover for the sins of the people were never enough to pay the price for the people's sin. It's like when we get our AA membership or our insurance bill comes in each year, we look at it and we go, okay, I need to pay this so that I'm going to be covered. So we pay that bill and we know we can, we can have a little bit of assurance here that we're covered at least now but it doesn't stop there. The next year we get another one and it's usually a little bit more and we pay that. And then the next year we pay another one and we pay it again and we pay it again. We can never cover ourselves enough. But praise God, Jesus' sacrifice was different. His sacrifice as the perfect lamb of God was done once and it was fully sufficient to pay for and cover the sins of you and me, for all mankind, past, present, and future. And friends, it doesn't need to be repeated. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. And it continues on there with the words for sin. Whose sin did Jesus die once for? It wasn't his sin, because he is sinless. It was our sin. It was our sin that caused the suffering Jesus to go through. And that's the thing. Even though he knew the suffering he would have to go through, he willingly sacrificed himself for our sins because of his love for us. Now, Romans 6.23, we all know that verse, his wages of sin is death. Friends, there is a real cost for our sin, and it is death. That cost cost should be our death. But instead, Jesus paid the price through his death once for our sin. And it continues here saying, the just for the unjust. 
This shows the perfectness of Christ. The one who had no sin died for the sinner. That's you and me. The perfect for the imperfect. God's justice demands that the price for our sin is death. Only a perfect, sinless sacrifice could cover um, and pay for our sins in full. And this is Jesus. And why? Why did he do it? He did it to bring us to God. Why would he go through all that suffering? The physical, mental and spiritual pain and the pain of the cross bearing all sins of mankind. Why? So that he might bring us to God. John 14, 6 says, No one comes to the Father except through me, being Jesus. Friends, we cannot get to God on our own strength as much as we may like to try. Our sin prohibits us from being in his presence. Our unrighteousness is like a stain in his sight. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our saviour, we accredited Christ's righteousness and he takes our sin. So when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, not the sinfulness of me. Because his suffering and ultimate sacrifice was fully sufficient. Once and for all, to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins, through this, he can bring us to God. Praise God for that, that it's not on our own strength, but it's all on Christ. So looking at, um, we're just going to go through these verses. So looking at verse 18 and continuing on to 19 and 20, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who were formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Now, looking at the last part of those verses, in the ESV it says like this, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited, waited in the days of Noah. So verse 19, it tells us that he was put to death in the flesh. That's Christ's physical death on the cross, necessary to pay for our sins. But he was made alive in the spirit. Now, we're not talking here about the Holy Spirit, but Jesus' own spirit, his living spirit. His physical body was dead, but his own actual spirit was alive. So at the point of when his physical body died, what did Jesus and his own spirit do? In that time after his death and before his resurrection, it tells us that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. So before we address what Jesus did, who are these spirits that Jesus preached or proclaimed to? Verse 20 tells us that they were disobedient spirits from the days of Noah. So if we, we're not going to turn there, but if we look at Genesis chapter 6, it tells us of the fallen angels wreaking wickedness and sexual sin in the times of Noah to the point where there were only eight people found, being Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, who were not corrupted by that wickedness. 
And God, because he is the creator and he is in control of all things, decides that these fallen angels have overstepped the mark. And God binds them and imprisons them in the pit, in hell, so they cannot cause that wickedness again. And yes, there are demons that are still roam, that still roam and are not bound in hell, but yet they will one day be. But these particular ones were imprisoned. 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Now, I would imagine that there would have been celebrating by those demons in hell when Jesus died on the cross. They would have thought that they had finally won and God's plan to save mankind had now come to nothing. But then Jesus, after his physical bodily death on the cross, who is now alive in his own spirit, goes down there and preaches and proclaims to these imprisoned demons. Imagine the shock of that. And so what does he proclaim? He proclaims that he has triumphed over sin and death. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now I imagine that he proclaims that his death is fully sufficient to pay for the price of pay the price for all sins of mankind. God's justice and holiness has been satisfied because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of his work on the cross, millions upon millions of souls who accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour won't be joining those demons in hell and won't be separated from God for eternity. But instead, they, um, because of Christ and his saving work on the cross, those people will spend eternity in the presence of God and with their Saviour. Friends, Jesus has won. Jesus has triumphed. And friends, this is the start of the triumph that comes from suffering. This is what made the suffering worth it, because Jesus knew he would triumph over sin and death and bring many to glory because of that. Let's continue in verses 20 to 21. It says, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. So Peter continues here in these verses and shows the similarities of how Noah's family were saved from the judgment because they were in the ark and how those who accept Jesus Christ as their saviour are in his ark of safety. Jesus is our ark of safety and which protects us from judgment. Now, it talks here of the water. So water during the flood of Noah's time was judgment, as God judged mankind for their sin and their wickedness. Those who were righteous, so that eight souls um, of Noah's family, were protected and saved from the judgment because they were in the ark. And it's really important, though, to note that in these verses, when it says that which now saves us, 
baptism. It is not talking about water baptism. We had six um, people here a few weeks ago who were baptised. They weren't saved by being baptised. They were baptised because they were saved. And it was a declaration of, who, of that, what Christ had done in their life. Baptism does not save us, but it does show that we have been saved. And Peter reiterates this by saying it is not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Only Jesus can save us. No one comes to the Father except through him. So the baptism mentioned here is is really a figure of speech symbolising immersion, which is what baptism is into a relationship, so that immersion into a relationship with Jesus, who he is our ark of safety, the one who protects us from that judgment. So just as as Noah and his family were in the ark, which saved them from the judgment at that time, um, in our time, those who have taken Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, and who have repented from their sins, so have a good conscience towards God, they are in the ark of safety, which is Jesus Christ. And they will pass through and to one day be in glory with their God and their Saviour. So through these verses, we continue to see Christ's triumph through suffering. Because of the sufficiency of his saving work on the cross, he is the only one who can be our ark of safety that can take us through and deliver us to the other side where we will spend eternity with him forever. And then we continue on looking at uh, verses 21 and 22 as we finish off these these verses in chapter 3. And it says, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Friends, here we have the triumphant culmination of God's plan with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension to the right hand of God on high, where all angels, all authorities, all powers have been made subject to him. Jesus' resurrection is at the centre of our faith. We do not serve a dead saviour. We serve a risen saviour. One of the key points of the resurrection is that it validates Jesus' death and suffering on the cross as being fully sufficient to pay for all the sins of mankind, all your sin and all mine sin. The resurrection shows us that God has accepted the redeeming work of Christ's death on the cross to pay for the sins of those who believe. Our debt of sin has now been paid in full and now his righteousness covers us and he takes away our sin. And because of the resurrection, Jesus takes his rightful place at the right hand of the Father with everyone and everything under his control. This is the triumphant culmination of all the suffering Jesus endured for us. Because of the Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, the sinner, it's you and me, who believes and puts their trust in him, passes through the judgment in the ark of safety, which is Jesus, to spend eternity in the presence of God and with our Saviour, the one seated at the right hand of God and who has everything under his control. 
So the first principle to take away from these verses is Jesus' triumphant suffering is fully sufficient to save us from our sins. Jesus' triumphant suffering is fully sufficient to save us from our sins. So how does that How does knowing that Jesus' suffering and death was enough to save you from your sins apply to your life today? Maybe you struggle with the thought that you need to add something to your salvation so that you can be saved. There's often something in us that wants us to be able to do something um, to have our part in that process. But you don't have to add anything to it. Jesus has done it all. Maybe it's a thought you need to be baptised to be saved, but you don't. Maybe you are involved in, in many ministries because deep down you think that doing the good work is needed as part of your salvation. It isn't. Or maybe you think you need to get your life sorted out first and be a good person before you come to Christ. You don't. You may be struggling with the thought that how, God, how could God forgive you for a particular sin that you have done? In your mind, this sin is too big. It's too bad to be forgiven and it stops you from coming to Christ. Friends, there is no sin that is not covered by the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. Not one. When I was, um, um, I was born into a non-Christian family, a loving a very uh, supportive, wonderful family, but they didn't know Jesus. Um, and I didn't really have a good understanding of what God was like. I didn't understand what Jesus was like. And in my mind, in my young mind then, um, I kind of thought God um, would let people into heaven on a quota system, that he had so many people a year allocated that could go to heaven. And, um, and you know, if you got in, great, and if not, bad luck, that's, you miss out. Um, and my thinking as a, young, as a young kid was that, um, you know, people are a lot, kind of, uh, lot worse now than what they were kind of many, many, many years ago. A lot of, it seemed like everyone went to church years and years ago, so they must have been really good. So now that people are really, really bad, there's less people being able to get in on the quota system. So if I'm just a good kid and I'm obeying my mum and my dad and looking after my dog and, and um, not swearing and stuff like that, then I might be able to get in on that quota system, that allocation that God had. And that was what I thought. And then when I was 13, um, through friends from school inviting me to come to church, I realised that my efforts weren't enough to save me. But Jesus' efforts were. That was all I needed. I didn't need to be adding anything to it. I didn't need to be trying to do it on my own. So friends, the verses we have just looked at tell us that Jesus' suffering and death once for all was completely sufficient to pay the price for my sins and for your sins. We don't need to add anything to the work of Christ. Jesus has done it all. Jesus has won the battle. And because he has the victory, we can live in victory too. We can't save ourselves. We have to rely solely on Christ. All we can do is accept the gift of salvation he has given to us.
So what have you done about Jesus in your life? That is the question that is a challenge for each of us. And only, uh, only, only we can answer that ourselves. So let's look at our second division. Triumphant living in Christ. We're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6. And I'll just read those verses. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime um, in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think that you do not run with them. They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So as we look at uh, verse one, it points us back to Jesus' suffering and death that we've just read about in chapter three. And because Jesus suffered and was triumphant in that suffering, we as believers are to have the same mindset. A mindset that is willing to go through suffering for Christ and know that if we go through suffering, we too can be triumphant in it, even if that meant to the point of death, which is what it means when it says, has ceased from sin. The only way we're gonna cease from sinning is if we are dead. For, for the believer at that point, they will be in glory and there will be no sin. If death is the worst that can happen to the suffering believer, it is also what will bring the believer into the presence of their saviour, free from sin. Now this would have been hugely encouraging to those reading Peter's message as they were going through suffering for Christ. And for some, they did literally, literally mean that they were going at that point of death. But for us believers in 2023, can, we can also be encouraged by this. Realistically, uh, we are unlikely to suffer to the point of death here in Hamilton. But for other Christians around the world, this is their reality. But if you are suffering for Christ at this moment, know that there can be triumph in that suffering. Maybe the way you conduct yourself through the trials you are going through are a witness to those around you. And this could be what points them to Christ. Maybe the graciousness that you show um, those that mock you because you're a Christian is what challenges them to really seek to know more about this Jesus that you serve. Maybe your determinedness determinedness to seek after purity in your relationship, even in the face of ridicule by your non-Christian friends, is what makes them see that there is something different about you, which is your faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, there's often triumph in the suffering that we go through. So continuing into verses two and three, 
Um, that says that he no longer should live in the rest of his time, live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So, in light of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, as believers, we shouldn't be living our lives lost in sin, but for God and his glory. If you know Jesus as your saviour, don't live lives that look like you don't know who he is. Don't dabble or purposely keep going back to sins you used to do before you knew your saviour. Live your life in a way that glorifies God. Look ahead to the day that you will be with him forever, not back at the way that your life used to be. And in comparison to eternity, the days we have here are minimal. For some of us, we've probably got less days here than we have already been through. And, you know, we look at that and we say, we need to make the most of the rest of your time that you have here and live lives that give all honour and glory to him in all that we say and all that we do. We have spent enough of our lives living in the world. For some of us, when we look at that list in verse 3, that might sound like what was a normal Friday or Saturday night for us in the past. For others of us here, we may have other sins that we are struggling with. But we all have the same calling, and that's to glorify God in everything that we do. This is why we are here. Scripture says God created us for his glory and instructs us to do everything for the glory of God. Let's look in verse 4. It says, in regards to these, they think it's strange. So that's um, the people living those lives in verse 3. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So the ESV version says it this way. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in that same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So when your old friends who were involved with, and you were involved with previously see the change that Jesus has made in your life, often they will be surprised that you no longer want to do the things you used to do. They can't understand that you are not interested in the things of your old life anymore. Some will start speaking badly of you or try to damage your character. Some will be offended by you now. Some may now be resentful that you don't want to do the things, these things with them anymore. Some may try to pull you back into the old ways and try and stop you living your new life for Christ. Now, I was talking with, with Robbie Fleming um, last week and, and had a really fascinating conversation, and he was telling me about his baptism. So Robbie was baptised when he was about 19 years old in the Whangaroa Harbour, which is a beautiful harbour right up top of Northland. He said that there were maybe 60 to 100 people on the shore there to witness his baptism but he could also see a boat out in the harbour which had his old drinking buddies in it. 
And as he came out from the crowd and started walking to the water to be baptised, all his old drinking mates that were in the boat stood up, beer bottles in hand, and yelled, don't do it, Robbie, don't do it. This is at his baptism. Robbie laughed and continued and baptised, got baptised, and what a wonderful blessing he has been to us as a church. But they couldn't understand why he wouldn't want to leave his life why he would want to leave his life of drinking with them for a new life following Jesus. They wanted to pull him back into his old way of life with them. But you know, the cool thing about that, and this is where the triumph part comes from the time of suffering for Christ in Robbie's life, is that in later years, one of those young men in the boat came to know Jesus Christ as his own Lord and Saviour. Now, we often don't know how God will use our lives as a witness to others, but God does. And we, we are just called to live lives that point others to Christ. So let's finish um, these verses, looking at verses five to six. And it says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Sadly and scarily, all those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour in their lifetime will one day have to stand before him at the great white throne judgment. And we read about that in Revelation 20 where they will be judged for the lives that they have lived. For the believer who has the triumphant suffering Christ as their saviour, when they stand before God, he sees the believer covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The one who suffered at the cross and whose death was completely sufficient to pay the price for their sins. Their debt of sin has already been paid by Jesus, and they do not receive the judgment that they deserved because of Christ and his suffering and death on the cross. But for the unbeliever, it is a terrifyingly different story. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, will look on them and see their sins in full display. They will have to pay the price for their own sins, and it is a terrible price to pay a torturous, eternal separation from God in hell. But friends, it doesn't have to be this way because Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to cover the cost of sin for all mankind. Romans 6.23, that wonderful verse, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This but here is a life-saving word. Eternal life is a free gift from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the ark of safety. He is the one who suffered once for our sin as the perfect sacrifice so that he could bring us to God. Jesus has done all that needs to be done to save you. All you need to do is accept the gift, and let God change your life. So our second principle for today is 
Jesus' triumphant suffering provides us the example to live, change lives for his glory. Jesus' triumphant suffering provides us the example to live, change lives for his glory. So how do we live, change lives for Christ? We are called to arm ourselves with the same mind as Christ. He triumphed over sin and has given us the example to do this. But for us, this is an ongoing struggle. We often try and do this in our own strength, but we can't. We will only triumph over our sins if we bring them to Christ. What are the things that you are struggling with that is hindering you living changed lives that reflect what he has done? Maybe it is the dependency on alcohol to get you through the day, which you hide from those around you. Maybe you are in a relationship and you have blurred the boundaries physically and are struggling with sexual sin. Or you're a parent and your life has just got so busy with family and work that you have no time for Jesus in your day now. Or maybe there's the anxiety or the worry of the future or paying bills or the cost of living has now become all-consuming in your mind and you no longer trust God and know that he is in control. If we're struggling with sin, we need to bring them to God in prayer and repentance. We want to put these things behind us and desire to live for the will of God rather than our own will and our old life. So as we come to a close, let us as a church praise God for the triumphant suffering of Jesus Christ, that the one who, is completely, who was completely just and perfect was willing to die for the sins of the unjust, that's you and me, so that why he could bring us to God. And because of that, we can be triumphant over our sin in our own lives and live lives that glorify him because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. All glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your son. We thank you for... Um, the work of the cross, that it was completely sufficient. Um, It covers all our sin, and we praise you for that. We thank you that um, Christ's death on the cross was so that he could bring us to God. And Lord, may we live lives that reflect all that you have done for us. Lord, may we live lives that um, show uh, that we serve a mighty God who forgives and has changed and moved us and Lord that who um, are now completely forgiven so we give you all thanks and all praise in Jesus name Amen